0: but uh, these will be our co-workers and they have a heart for the people in the area and that's why they called us they said we really feel we want to do something more for them they are already providing and you'll see, I'll show you later food, but they wanted to do more and so they invited us to come and uh, they have committed themselves to the work of the clinic by paying for the labour paying for the labourers who come in and do the building so they are part and parcel of the whole project uh, <coughs> this slide shows you I'm sorry these are Google Earth pictures and we are of course you can't <laughs> you can't ask them to brighten it up a the Google Earth puts the pictures on the file and you just have to take what they've got in fact here is ooh, Sorry. here is the church hall and here is the clinic and this is the, this is the housing area behind us which you saw on the other map uh, in much lower magnification that was zoomed out now we've zoomed in and there's the church. There's the, it's just that, it's that distance from the road, which is, means that we can get into it with, uh, for bringing supplies and what have you quite easily. And thereafter, it's mostly walking. Everybody walks. And uh, there's the church hall, and there is the clinic in construction. So we're par- next to the church hall in the car park. So... Swaziland, let me tell you a little about Swaziland. It's a small country, about the size of New Jersey, they tell me. Uh, about 75 miles across, 120 north-south, so it's small. Geography, this area up here is mountainous and quite cool in the uh, winter time. Here is the Middlelands, which is a sort of Mediterranean-type climate. And finally, here, down here, this this is the lowlands, or the low belt, to use a South African word. It's hotter and more humid, and there's malaria down there. So, we are here in the middle belt, in a a town called Matsapa, which is um, where the factories are, as you saw. So, Swaziland uh, is the only absolute monarchy in Africa. The king rules uh, and has complete control of the country. In 1973, he banned all political parties. And although he does have a cabinet and a prime minister, he appoints most of them. And there's a parliament, but all they can do is give advice. He he doesn't have to take it. Uh, He maintains a a, a well-paid police force and an army and uh, we can't really see quite why he would need an army because there's hardly anybody likely to ever attack him but I think it's for internal security purposes that he has that Uh, the amenities are good, the roads uh, we get light and water, you switch on a light it comes on, it stays on having lived in Nigeria, you know that really is a a progress Uh, roads are good, communications, phone, we have internet and it's getting faster and better Population is small, 1.3 million and uh, 3% white. There are some white people coming in from Zimbabwe uh, and um, settling in Swazi because it's pretty peaceful. One of the reasons it's peaceful, it has only one tribe. Now for Africa, for a country to have only one tribe is, is unique. I don't think there's another one that has only one tribe. Only one tribe, one language. And that means the the likelihood of quarrels and disputes and disorder are much less because tribes tend to disagree and tend to distrust one another and are suspicious of one another. So it didn't hampers any sort of work together. But in Switzerland, they're completely free of that. And uh, so uh, life is very peaceful. There's no tribal fighting. In Nigeria, we were frequently hearing stories of fighting between tribes over land, over border places, Putting us in danger if we happen to, by chance, just go into that area where a dispute was breaking out, not knowing what was going to happen. So, <coughs> the uh, land, uh, the country is mostly rural with just three urban centers and one industrial center. The uh, industry of Swaziland is mostly garment manufacture in factories. The government builds the factories. And then the Chinese come in and set up their businesses in there and make garments, which they then export. I don't know where they go to. I, I go around J.C. Penny looking at the labels to see if anything made in Swaziland. I haven't found anything yet. <laughs> I don't know where it goes, but they export it. And the wages, though, are very low. That's a, that's a very poor wage to be paid. I want to show you this picture because we, I talked to you about the king, King Swati who is uh, the sole monarch and ruler of the land. This is a house of one of his wives. He has he has 14 wives and we just heard he's having another one is being negotiated for. And each one, uh, to, oh, at least so far, the first 12 of them got a place like this. I'm sorry I couldn't get it any closer or any show it a little bit more glamorously. But you can see it's many houses all together in a group, in a circle. And Uh, and here is what many of the people the rest of the people live in small houses, single rooms these are the ones in the industrial area which are even more compacted but out in the rural areas it's usually one or two room houses so the majority of the people are living 60 odd percent of them are living uh, at the poverty line (coughs) or below while he uh, loves to have banquets he drives fast cars he flies jet planes he owns jet planes and and so the, the, the difference between them is so huge. And I don't know why it is some of these rulers don't see that when you have everything and your people have nothing you're not going to be you know, they're not going to be happy with you. They're, they're not. Nelson Mandela was such a marvelous example in that he never did anything like that. He He was a humble man who realized that the people were the thing that mattered. He had come for the people and he never used his position to enrich himself which so many of them do. But the king of Swaziland does it and I don't know what the future for him is. There are voices for independence and for, uh, from him, that is for multi-party democracy but we, uh, we're, we have to see with his army and his police he takes care of dissent unless it becomes very uh, widespread in the country. Now, I have to talk about this because uh, if you haven't heard of it H- uh, Swaziland has the highest HIV rate in the world. And it's, it's a puzzle. I'm, I'm working on why. I'm going to talk to you about it a little bit. I don't want to take too long. Uh, but um, it's actually, although it's the highest, South Africa, which is near, right next door, and um, Botswana also have very high rates. I mean, they're not that much lower. So, um, Swaziland is the highest, but it's, there seems to be a general pattern of very high rates of HIV in that part of the world. And uh, you can see the figures there 45%. Imagine, 40, I'm working in the maternity hospital and I did a check on one month, I think it was May of uh, 2013, 42% of them were positive on that one month, women. Now of course, they don't look bad because they're on treatment. Ever since about 2008, 2006, 7, eight, they started on antiretrovirals and so most of them are healthy um, nearly all of them are healthy in fact i only i think only saw a couple of ill women who had got low um, who were suffering from aids and had physically showed it in their bodies most of them look quite well and <coughs> so the challenge is of course to prevent the next generation from getting aids and i'll talk to that in a little minute You see, a life expectancy in 2061 dropped to 32 by 2009, but has recently improved to 47. For women, but only 43 for men. Why would that be? Well, simply, only 22% of males as of 2010 were ever tested. They don't want to go for testing. Why is that? Well, one, they may be afraid to find out, They probably say, well, ignorance is bliss. Let me just carry on. They don't feel bad or don't feel sick, so they think, well, I'm okay. Um, But, of course, many of them can be infected. Uh, As you know, or if you don't know, HIV uh, infection, once it enters the body, will remain in a relatively dormant state for as long as eight years uh, before showing itself. And so these men are infected and they're spreading it. They're, they're having sexual relations with, with their wives and possibly, very likely, other women. And so they are the cause of the spread of the disease up to this very day. And they die younger because, of course, they don't get tested until they get really ill. And it's been... The wisdom now in the HIV community is if you wait until the person's immunity is very low before you start treatment, then they have a lot more complications, some of which they may die. So early treatment, uh, early diagnosis and management and then early uh, introduction of antiretroviral drugs is very important. So uh, things were so bad in Swaziland that the expert opinion said uh, that if the HIV AIDS rate continued Swaziland would cease to exist. It was that bad. And uh, pretty terrible statement. So, what are the priorities in treating AIDS? Well, first of all is to treat those infected and that's taking place. All the aid agencies are in there, Global Fund and um, Medicines Sans Frontier, that is Doctors Without Borders. Baylor (coughs) University from uh, here in Texas is over there with a special unit for children, pediatric uh, HIV care. And uh, so they're taking care of the infected ones. The bigger thing is to prevent the new infections. And you've already seen these men going about who are positive but won't be tested so they don't know. So they are spreading it. Uh, <coughs> I don't know, the answer to that one is not known. But the, the generally agreed or accepted way forward is to educate and try and teach the young ones the dangers of it before they become sexually active, before they are infected. And so the 7 to 14 age group is now the target of the uh, educational efforts and teachers are being equipped to um, be able to tell their students about HIV AIDS. But I've been reading some articles on this and it is actually quite difficult for teachers to do this and to get it across so that the children will change their behaviour. And um, so it's an ongoing problem. They teach them, the, they give them the lessons, the children say, ah oh, yes, I know about age and this is how you get it and so on. Then they go home and they just carry on doing what they've done because they haven't taken the lesson with them and brought it into the, their lives and used it. And uh, as you may know, A, B, C no, yeah, how to change behaviour that's going to be our big challenge, how to get people to stop and think to themselves, now if I do that then I will risk getting an infection. Therefore, I will not do that. And it's the whole science. uh, Any of you are psychologists here, the business of theory of planned behavior, theory of reasoned action, a whole lot of other stuff which I read about, trying to get people to take on information and use it to... And you see, they're not very well educated people. I think that's one of the great things about education is that educated people read instructions, understand what they mean, and carry them out. Uh, non-educated people read, instru- read instructions but they don't really understand them and they certainly don't carry them out when they go home so education generally is helpful because it helps to people change the way people do all sorts of things but we, I'll just put that in, we need help, any of you got children, any of yourselves would like to come and help us with the challenge of how to help these people change their behaviour and avoid this disease ABC, do you all know what that stands for that's the old adage A, abstinence, B, if you're married, be faithful. C, A, absence if you're single. B, be married. Be faithful if you're you're, um, married. And C, they say, use a condom if you can't control yourself. Well, we're not going to teach that, uh, let me tell you this, because that's not Christian. In fact, (coughs) one of the problems that I'll go go into in a little bit is a, a conflict going on. C, I think, should stand for, if you're infected, you use a condom to protect your wife or she the other way around or use it to prevent yourself getting affected by your wife that's it that's what we should teach and we need to teach the, the sanctity of marriage and, and uh, the value of, of remaining uh, pure until you marry and so there are things like uh, promise keepers they've had that here in the States we need to do that in Swadland and bracelets purity bracelets which we can give to the young women and help them to remind them of this terribly important matter. And as I was telling the mission committee, counselling from the Bible College. We have a Church of Christ Bible College just four miles away and the undergraduates there will be coming to us to get counselling experience because the college there not only teaches the Bible, it actually equips them with qualifications that they can use In the community when they get back home to wherever they're from. So (coughs) we're going to I'm looking forward to having these young men and women who are knowledgeable and young and can hopefully communicate with these people and and help them in this process of changing their behavior. Of course the clinic will also deal with uh, general conditions, general medical conditions and in in including acute life-threatening infections in HIV-positive patients because because of the number of people who are still not tested, they don't know they are the ones who will get sudden overwhelming infections and we have to be ready to recognize those and treat them Uh, I'm a gynecologist so I have an interest in screening for cervical cancer so I'll be doing that it's much commoner in HIV-positive people so I'm expecting to see quite a lot of that and I won't charge them, or if I do, I'll charge them just a small, small amount because I don't want them to go away because they say, oh, I can't afford it. So I want to help them. So that one. Will and then the common conditions, hypertension, is quite a lot of that, diabetes, uh, and so on. Why is the HIV rate so high? Well, I'm working on this, and <coughs> here are some of the factors. Polygamy, you saw the king's palace for his bride, for his wife, uh, I think he has 12, 14 wives I think Swazis like their king generally, the rural ones anyway the people living in the and they, <coughs> they uh, I think they say to themselves, well the king has many wives well why shouldn't I have a, a one or, or two or three and, um, but of course having wives costs money and they often can't afford it so they have girlfriends and uh, often at the same time so if it's just one of those people in that group of people who are having sexual relations gets infected, then it will spread to all of them. And uh, that's a factor. Uh, low wages, unemployment. When in Nigeria this was true, they would, um, when they couldn't afford to pay for the children's food, they couldn't get food on the table for the children, the children were crying hungry. The woman knew how she could do to get money, knew where she could go to give her body so she could get money rape is common unfortunately um, they say I think in, in Swaziland a woman has a lifetime risk of 30% of them have a lifetime risk of being raped and that's a pretty terrible statistic here we have this this is a story of a young girl of uh, must have been 14 maybe and we were taking her on a journey, and uh, <coughs> as we were going along, she suddenly shouted out, "Stop!" And the driver pulled over to the side of the road. And as he did, she opened the door and fell out. She kind of stepped out, but of course, because the vehicle was moving, the, her momentum meant she fell, she fell flat on her back on, on the side of the road. And of course, we stopped and picked her up and. Um, put her back in the van and took her but later when we went into it it turned out that she was from a polygamous family and she'd been raped by one of her brothers same father but different mother and there was a whole lot of social problems going on as well education problems and this poor girl I think she just she couldn't handle it at that young age and so uh, you know she she just she just built, built up inside her you can imagine Fortunately we had with us one of the sisters from the Bible College that I've mentioned who took her under her wing and spent time with her and I got reports later on that this young lady was doing much better. And so uh, we were able to help in that case. Uh, These are the other things that we think uh, are contributing to the high rate of HIV I, 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 I've been contemplating this so I'm going to take just a few minutes to talk about this about a wounded people I think the Swazi people are a wounded people AIDS when it started devastated the country there was no treatment for it and thousands of them were dying and, we, and I've calculated that probably 120,000 died over a period from 1986 it was first diagnosed 1999 was when they I saw the figures for deaths and from 1999 up till 2000 and and nine 2010 120,000 deaths out of 1.3 million. Well, imagine that means that one in ten are dying, and so every family will know of and have lost a a member of their family. And of course, as you all know, HIV people are usually in the young uh, productive years of life, 20 to 40, 20 to 50, and so the the breadwinner or the the mother who's caring for the family was being removed from the family. So that gave even greater uh, devastation to the family. So I think the society is in a shock. And the reason I think it's in a shock is that Swaziland in the past was known as a a, a land, it's called the pulpit of Africa. I know I'm going through time, but I'm going to tell you a story. (coughs) One of the kings of Swaziland, before he died, had a dream. And in his dream, he saw uh, some white-skinned people bringing a book and some money. And uh, when he woke from his dream, he told his, told his people and he said, you must go and find these white-skinned people and have them bring this book because the dream told him that the book was the book from God and it would tell them what they needed to do to be pleasing to God. And so he was concerned that they, his people should have that book and they should learn from it. And so later, some years later, that happened. The missionaries came down with their book and with their money. But the king who gave the, who, saw the, uh, who saw the vision, he said, don't have anything to do with their money. Just take the book and listen to the book. Learn from it. Don't have anything to do with their money. And so, Swaziland became, uh, they received the missionaries, they had teachers to teach them how to read it so that they could then read it for themselves and so on. Swaziland was known as the Pulpit of Africa. That was years ago and I don't have any first hand information on that more than that story. But now Swaziland is the highest rate of HIV in the world and as everybody most people know AIDS implies a degree of immorality and you, just, you won't get it if you're faithful to your partner and she's faithful to you and you won't get it. So they are, have been immoral. So they're in this terrible bind. They are people who believe that they are Christian that they've been following the ways of God. Uh, And here they are with this horrible disease which is not found in Christians. Uh, What's the explanation? Well, I think it may be that on the surface they were Christians, but underneath they were not Christians. They've been living a sort of double life, possibly. And so now nobody will come forward and say, yes, I'm infected, or my children, or my son died, or my daughter died of the disease, or my father died. They won't say it. I think it's because they realise that they are a Christian, they used to be a Christian nation and there's some of that Christianity still in them and so to them to admit it is horrible. It's, 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 a, it's a sign of, uh, you know, debasing themselves. I, I'm a fornicator. I, 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 and my family are fornicators. Nobody wants to admit that because Swazi people think of themselves as Christians. And so the culture of silence and stigma uh, is prevalent there uh, and nobody wants to talk about it. And we are yet to have any eminent person in Swaziland come forward and unlike Nelson Mandela who 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 told us openly that one of his sons had died, Kenneth Kawanda, who was the president of Zambia, also had a son or daughter, a child who died of HIV and he confessed it. But not in Swaziland. Nobody is willing to do that yet. And so... We have people, P-L-W-H-A is my shortened version of people living with HIV and AIDS. And so they suffer because they, are, they feel rejected. They, they, re- they feel debased in their own minds because of their culture of the Christianity. And so they suffer a lot and loneliness, isolation, self sort of denigration and depression can even follow from that. But on the other hand, the culture of Swazi, according to African tradition, of course, is to be polygamous, have lots of wives, have many children. And so here is a country which is zizowing like this between these two uh, positions. And uh, they need prayer. They need prayer because they need to go back to the basics of Christianity and believe it and put it into practice and uh, leave behind everything in their culture which is unhelpful. I mean, you can keep the bits of culture that are okay, but embrace Christianity fully and live uh, righteously before God with with the blessing that will definitely come. So, we have many social problems because, (coughs) really, related with HIV, these babies being born, and many children are born... Only 20 percent, 22 percent of Swazi people, Swazi children, have two parents. So most of the situations it's a, it's a female and a child. So these boys are growing up without fathers. The low self-esteem, underachievement. There's one thing I've noticed about our sisters in the church in Swaziland. They sing beautifully. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Miriam Makiba who is a very famous African singer who traveled during the apartheid years. She lived here in America I think. She sang with Harry Belafonte and others. Uh, I mean she she's, she's a big name in Africa. She's, she's died now. She's not alive. But she's still remembered fondly. in Well, she had a marvelous voice. She had such a deep and resonant and powerful voice we have sisters who can sing much louder than the men in Switzerland and every Sunday morning for at least 30 minutes, maybe longer sometimes they go over uh, they'll just sing and a lot of the songs are started by the ladies because it's it's not church yet it's just a gathering to sing before church begins and the songs they sing are just marvellous and uh, they have that resonant voice such, such harmonious beautiful voices and I wonder sometimes if it isn't their way of expressing their frustrations. It isn't their way of, for a, a moment, that they're not repressed, that they're not looked down on, they're not said, you're just a woman and I'm a man and I'm above you. And so they can use that voice to say, yes, I'm a person, I, I'm real, I, I, I'm equal to the best of you I, and, uh, and I can put my heart into this. And I think that's we notice that and it's, it's very touching to see and their singing is remarkable but the heart of the problem of course is so often is spiritual the, uh, the the pentecostalism is widespread and also reform religion i call it reform religion where they teach you don't have to be baptized to be saved but we know that you do and so a lot of people are going around and have not been baptized or they've been they're waiting to be baptized by their church because they only do it at certain times of the year they haven't been baptized into the Lord by for remission of sins. <coughs> so I think that hampers them. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Then there's the pagan uh, religion of their own ancestors, what they started off with, what they, their parents have taught them, or their grandparents have taught them. And so that attacks them. And especially when things are going badly and where they need help and they feel they're not getting it, they will go back home to the village for their traditional Africa and um, Pentecostalism is there promising them everything of course and says just come and get your miracle come and get your healing come and get this come and get that and it's, it's fake of course it it's goes largely on emotionalism and the healings that they have are usually very transient and uh, people often wind up in the same condition they were before and if they were working we wouldn't have any HIV AIDS but we do so Matsapa. Matzapa is the industrial heartland of um, Swaziland. And let me give you a little bit of information on Swaziland here, which I've put down. Um, It's the industrial heartland and there's a picture of the factories, the factory roofs. And there's a picture of the housing where they live, the workers who are working in those factories. I remember in England years ago, in the Victorian era, the British built houses for the workers in the, in the big cities of London and Birmingham and Leeds and Manchester. And the houses were poorly built. They were uh, terrace houses all stuck together. And uh, we've been pulling them down for the last uh, 80 or 90 years and replacing them with decent houses. And here it looks similar. Here they built them just cheap uh, single-room dwellings, which they occupy. And, uh, of course, they're just there during the, the nights, They sleep and they go to work. Uh, you see them at the weekends, but they work hard and they live they live tough here although they have light, better than often in Nigerian villages where there's no light, and they do have water, uh, common old bath and toilet. So, <coughs> so it's, uh, the the factories developed during the apartheid era when uh, the South African government uh, was boycotts against them they couldn't bring in their, they couldn't export their products. so they built, they moved their factories into Swaziland where they could then export things and uh, so after apartheid ended they stayed on and so the factories uh, have continued and the government of Swaziland is trying to uh, increase the number they build the factories for the businesses and rent them out to them to come and set up a, a manufacturing in there. So we get youth coming in for employment. Uh, most of them are garment factories, as I said, and the workers work for three months, and then they are sacked, as it were. They give them their papers, and then they rehire them, and that way the Chinese owners uh, avoid paying sort of contributions to benevolence or whatever. Uh, there's something that they they're trying to avoid, which is really sharp practice, but they do it, and uh, they pay them $110 a hundred and ten dollars a hundred. Yeah, 110 dollars a month, which is very low wage. That's two sweatshop uh, labor, and um, but Matzaffer is the largest center for jobs in, S- in Swaziland. It's the largest center for unemployment and uh, or employment. Largest center for informal housing. These are called informal housings. Uh, they are slums. I think would would also be another expression you could call them slums, and. Uh, there's the high teenage pregnancy rate and in these houses high abortion rate because the, the women if they're vi- busy in the factories and they get pregnant they know that they're going to have to stop work at some point. So they have an abortion rather than, than allow that to happen. So that's another problem we have. Of course we will not be doing abortions. We will be counselling and teaching and trying to help them. Abortion is actually illegal in Swaziland. So they go to the back street and endanger their lives. Okay, now we're coming on to the, um, yeah, we've been through these. So now we come to the church. The church is built in. This is the community the church is in. And uh, there's the church hall up on the front side. And as I showed you the picture before there's the, there's the church hall the picture we've just seen and there's the clinic. So they plan to put it there deliberately. And their desire has been that we sh- they should have a medical clinic. And as I said earlier they are paying for the labour uh, here we have feeding programs OVC they call them orphans and vulnerable children there are 200,000 or 220,000 orphans in Swaziland and so really that, if you just remember that one statistic that tells you that there's been a serious problem in that country to have that many of course in, in the definition of orphan is one parent uh, who has died in Africa that's the way we do it we don't, you don't have to lose both But um, so over 200,000 Orphans growing up, either either no parents or one parent. And <coughs> because often the parent, the father has died, there's no income, there's a problem with feeding and education. And so there's a need for, for feeding. I don't know how many are actually being fed in this way. It's impossible to know, but we are involved in it. Church of Christ is involved in it. This was a Bible, the Bible college, actually. This one is from our church at Masafa. And here you can see those eyes looking uh watching the the pot is getting empty, and here they are with their little they come with their feeding bowl. I put this one in because you see here's two older ones and one younger one. they have finished theirs already, although they've left the meat to last, and that's a that's often African tradition. They love to keep the meat for the very last. That's the last thing they want to put in their mouth before they finish is that taste of that meat. Sweet meat, as they call it. But here, this is a youngster and he or she is not eating as fast, which they don't. And so these two are already helping. And in fact, there is a problem medically with that, that if it goes on a long time, the older, the younger one will, will actually starve. It just won't get enough because they... They have smaller stomachs, they, they don't take as much, it takes them longer to eat. And so these older ones will swipe most of it before they can get enough. They have to be fed separately for, for best practice. But since we're not feeding them all the time, that, uh, if I notice that going on a lot, I'll, I'll intervene and, and make sure that we feed them separately so that these older ones don't eat their food. So yeah, the church, the sisters from the church cook it. They cook food five times a day, at least, sometimes more. And the sisters come in and do that. They volunteer. So the church is spreading the word. (coughs) We use World Bible School a lot. The South Africans bring up a gospel chariot, which is a big Mercedes truck, which has a public address system, which has tracks, which has... um, it's sort of is used to stimulate, inc- uh, and, and it's a public address system. They can go around the community, uh, welcoming and uh, inviting people to come to a, a meeting. And they use a lot of tents for meetings in South Africa. Tent meetings are very common. Um, I don't know why, whether it's cheaper to do it that way, but and often a church will form in a tent, and only after years will it move into a, a building. So. That's how we are doing. That's the kind of evangelism we're doing. And uh, particular, I'm doing this, reaching out to the sick and needy. And um, uh, I've been doing group Bible studies. Annette too has been doing Bible studies. Our reading this evening, I always think this is, um, I always claim this is one of the things, justifications for medical missions. But you see the order in which Jesus puts it. You th- we often say, well, we must preach the gospel to them. Yeah, but if they're blind, or if they are in pain, or if they're deaf, or if they are... You know, they've got medical... They often can't concentrate. If they're blind, they won't see it. They could hear it. But the, the point is that um, if, you, if you're suffering physically, it's hard to concentrate on the gospel. You need to be met at the point of your need. When you, uh, like Jesus, he didn't always preach to those who were sick when they came to him. um, Like the man who reached out and said to Jesus, if you are willing, I know you can heal me. Remember how Jesus replied? I am willing. And that's a marvelous, to me, that's the go light, the green light for medical missions. Jesus said, I am willing to get involved with sick people. And in those days, leprosy was a, a disease where you weren't supposed to touch a leper and if you did, you were unclean and you had to go through ceremonies. But Jesus was willing to, f- to go through that for the sake of touching that man. And uh, so we have to follow Jesus' way and you've got to do something for them when they're suffering before you can help them to have the thing that they really need. Uh, I think we all... So we are going to do our evangelism through these channels here. This is an interesting one. We get people coming to the church, they don't take communion. And we found on a number of occasions that they are actually people who are interested. And they haven't been baptised, but they are sufficiently interested to be coming. And they come regularly. And so we've taught them, and a number have been baptised. And also we're now focusing on youth and young adult ministries because so far we found it more difficult to reach the older older ones. And Annette is doing math drill classes after school. This is, again, she's giving them something they want so that she can then, we can give them something they need. They need mathematics skills because they're hopeless at math. And a lot of them hate mathematics and uh, as sometimes people do in, over here. But Annette is great on getting them comfortable with doing mass problems and doing them frequently, repeatedly. and She drills them and if they stay the course, they actually come to it. They come out liking it. They come out smiling. I've been to them, done a mass test and I liked it. I enjoyed it. And so that impresses the parents a lot and we have a number of those children attending the church services as a result of their Here's a personal Bible study going on one of the single room houses not terribly well focused, I'm sorry about that but uh, you can see the room is uh, the walls are undecorated one bed and a table and then on this side out of the way is the uh, preparing of food area so, and then the children, I don't know how many little ones there so, she works in the garment factory and there she is, she was baptised Uh, I met her at the hospital actually because while the clinic is still preparing I am working in the hospital and I met her there and followed up and she was interested and so we studied and uh, she was baptised and now she's a, a, a faithful member of the church. She's still quite young in the faith and she's got some problems but we're hopeful, we're encouraged by her. And Annette also does studies that's Annette's so language interpreter and here's a student. So we keep busy. Uh, <coughs> so uh, let me give you a little bit on the construction. Here we go. We're building. And Annette's wonderful at building. Her dad was uh, in the real estate business and so she, she learned from him how to design buildings and then uh, how to supervise the construction of the same so here's the ready-mix cement going in for the deck, and um, there they are spreading the concrete. So it has a rapid job that uh, a brother in the Lord paid these men because um, they were they weren't regular contractors, weren't, weren't regular labour. These were special contractors. But they bring in about twelve of them because they shovel it by hand. <laughs> there's quite a lot of hard work, so they did that. And there, there's our construction. It's still a you can see that we've just started on the upstairs part there we have actually got a bit further along uh, than that we didn't i didn't put one of those so temporarily i'm working in the um, labor and delivery at the maternity hospital <coughs> At the labor, I won't go into this now, but I'll just say this. I have found a ministry at that maternity hospital. I had no idea I would ever find it. And I even believe that's one of the reasons God has led us to go down there, because there's been a need, which by God's kindness I saw it, and I've worked on it, and we're into a program to correct it. And it's something that I absolutely love to do. And uh, I never had a chance to do it in Nigeria, because I was totally... Oh, burdened down by work I had no chance to get involved in such a thing like that and, uh, and so because I'm not so busy I had a chance to sit back and stand back and see what was going on and realise there was a huge problem that needed help and so I'm giving a talk on that in uh, Dallas uh, next weekend so here we go this is our future Bible studies, reaching out to people who are sick, helping them. To go back to the uh, HIV story, which is always rather dull, I know, but one of the one of the possible positive benefits is that some of them come to their senses when they realize they're positive and they realize that they're on treatment because I'm sure they realize they could die. I don't know if they feel like death uh, after they've gone on treatment, but certainly it must sober them hugely and it helps them to sort of change their thinking and so we've had a number of conversions of women particularly women who have um, I found out because as a doctor they would come and talk to me and uh, so I can think of immediately three women recently who have been added to the Lord who were all HIV positive so the tragedy of HIV actually is turning into a blessing it makes them more receptive uh, because of the you know the total disaster to their lives and the thought that their lives may not last very much longer helps them to think things through much more clearly. And they accept the gospel. The one I showed you, she accepted the gospel so easily. She didn't quibble. Okay, common medical problems, uh, particularly cervical cancer here. I'm going to be screening for that. It's a very simple test that I can do. It's not 100%, but it's better. it's, It's a relatively good test. And I have good relations with the Mission Hospital, so if I get a major problem with it I can refer them and I know they'll be taken care of and I think a lot of psychological problems in our community certainly related to AIDS and HIV and people being on treatment and I'm sure we will have and this is where our counsellors we will hopefully they will help us with these people and uh, we'll be able to give them hope and uh, all of these services I won't go through these long lists we are supposed to provide them well unfortunately I can do children because one of my interests is children uh, family planning the nurses will take care of that the nurses do pre and postnatal care I'll do this one HIV testing, we will be trained we, our nurses will be trained to take care of these so they'll do most of the routine stuff uh, uh, I, I'll do that because I'm interested in it and I've got some experience in it and general medical, of course, all the people with oh, doctor, my God pain here, pain here. All of those. You've got to do that because if you don't do that, <laughs> you're a rotten clinic. They won't go. They'll, they'll they'll make our name mud in the community. So we have to do some of that as well. But the interesting thing is, or the tough thing for us, will be we have to provide the service when they are when they can come, and that's of course before seven in the morning and after five in the evening. And I'm ready to do it. Uh, we must hold. We must try to. Be available to them. The first ability is availability. So, here we go. Benevolence, yes. Visiting the sick. <coughs> Those who cannot pay. One of the concerns we have is whether we will have... Oh, wow, I've gone so far beyond time. Um, the people are poor. they used to government paying for their care. The government have told us they will not help us. So, we've got to try and finance it. That's a long story. So, here are our needs. And um, we particularly want Christian DVDs with Christian moral message to attract and teach the youth. If anybody has that, games. Anybody has somebody like to come over and introduce something for our youth or our young adults? It's a great opportunity because Swaziland is very easy to get to. No, It's a long journey, I'll tell you that. And it's expensive. But once you come, your passport is stamped, you walk in, you don't need a visa, they look after you, it's safe and um, so it's nice for a short visit as well as for a long one. This information will be on the table at the back so you don't need to write it down. We work with International Healthcare Foundation who um, so you can send funds through them or through the congregation here. So, thank you for your attention. I'm sorry I've gone over time, but thank you for a chance to share. Not me, but these people. That, if you will, go away thinking, not what Dr. Whitaker said, but the people that he mentioned who are God's people. I mean, they were made by God. They have a right to hear the Gospel <coughs> and... Um, so we are the ones among the ones who are going to help them to see it and to understand it and so they can make it uh, real in their lives and uh, I always think of that passage where um, Jesus said I have come that they may have life John 10.10 that they may have life and have it more abundantly and I think a lot of Swazis are not living the abundant life what with HIV unemployment, poverty, hunger and they're living sort of marginally. But Jesus said, I've come to give them life abundantly. We want to help bring them out into the light of God's love, to have that abundant, that joyful, that fulfilling life. And, you know, we ourselves, of course, all of us are, have some areas of our life which aren't right. So we won't be going in saying, well, we're perfect and you're not. We're going and as people who are also seeking that abundant life, who are trying to put to death those habits and behaviours in our own lives that hinder us but who have found enough of it to be enthusiastic to go and share it with them and say, come on, let's both together go out into that light of God's love and live the abundant life. Thank you.